0: 2 Kings 18, and we'll read starting in verse number 17. The Bible says this, And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rapserus and Rabshaka from Lachish to King Hezekiah, with a great host against Jerusalem. So here, yet again, Hezekiah has something going against him. And it's the enemy. It's the king of Assyria, uh, whose name was Sennacherib. And he was trying to take over Judah, where Hezekiah was king. They are against him. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the Fuller's Field. Essentially, this was a very... A popular place for people to gather. So a lot of people of the community would have been in this place. Assyria, and the king of Assyria sends messengers to Hezekiah, and they are about to deliver a message, okay? That's what's taking place here in this passage. Verse 18. And when they had called to the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And so, essentially, the king of Assyria sends messengers, and Hezekiah responds by having some of his own representatives go, and now they're having this meeting of the minds. These uh, political leaders are about to have this meeting. Verse 19. In Rabshakeh, who was the spokesperson, said unto them, Speak ye now to Hezekiah. Thus saith the great king, king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now, on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? He asks a very important question. Who or what are you trusting in? Who or what are you trusting in? And today for a few minutes, I'd like to speak to this subject, sticks and stones, sticks and stones. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father... Thank you so much for your goodness. We sang about it this morning, Lord, and we believe it and we declare it, that you are good and that you are great. And Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes, your Holy Spirit would have freedom to work in this place. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, give me the words to say. God, I pray that we would recognize that this is not just an outdated section of antiquity in an old historical record, but Lord, I pray that we would recognize that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, and that this morning we are studying the Word of God. And God, I pray that your Word would penetrate our hearts and that we would be able to apply this text to our lives and that we would be able to leave this place differently because of it. We love you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said this morning. How many of you would say today that you are afraid of heights? Anybody like that? You're afraid of heights? I remember growing up, my mom thought it would be a good idea to have Uh, myself and my brother and my sisters take swim lessons and i was excited for swim lessons i thought this is going to be great you know just swimming all day and with a bunch of other kids and this is going to be awesome and looking back on that experience. I don't know if I've ever been in a more unsanitary place in my life than that city pool as we were taking swim lessons. Uh, But we showed up and we were having a great time and at swim lessons there's different stations. How many of you have taken swim lessons? I'm just curious this morning. Uh, There's different stations, they teach you how to do different things and everything kinda culminates on the last day with the high dive. And everyone's kind of nervous about the high dive. You don't actually have to dive. We've got to jump from a high level. And so we were kind of nervous about that, kind of nervous slash excited about that. Everyone except for my oldest sibling, Danielle. My sister Danielle is afraid of heights, and she's not a great swimmer. And in fact, to this day, I don't know if Danielle knows how to swim. Like, I've never seen it, so I'm not sure. But she was uh, nervous about making this high dive. And so it finally came uh, time to do the high dive. And I remember my sister Danielle, she went to the top. And she was so nervous. She was standing at the edge and she was shaking. She was so afraid. They kind of like were making her, forcing her to go out there. And she was shaking, kind of looking down. And what you were supposed to do is you were supposed to jump into the middle of the pool and then swim over to the side. And there's kind of lifeguards all in the pool, kind of making sure everything is going okay. And so, it was finally Danielle's turn, and she goes up, she's standing at the edge, she's scared, she's intimidated, she's overwhelmed, she doesn't want to do it. And they give her a countdown, three, two, one, and she plugs her nose. How many of you are nose pluggers, by the way? This is embarrassing for the rest of us. Please learn how to jump in without plugging your nose. Uh, But Danielle, uh, she was getting ready to jump. She plugged her nose, and she jumped in, but she was nervous, and she was so nervous that uh, she wanted to land a little bit more closely to the lifeguard. And so rather than jumping out in the middle, she jumped to the right, and she landed directly on top of a lifeguard, almost knocking him out unconscious. There was another lifeguard from the other side of the pool that literally had to swim over to rescue them both because she was failing and she was uh, struggling in the water and uh, she was standing on top of that high dive and she was so overwhelmed she was so uh, nervous she was so intimidated how many of you have ever been in a moment in your life where you were intimidated or overwhelmed anybody like that uh, a moment of life that produced maybe a little bit of anxiety or or worry and intimidation we come to second king chapter 18 and we're continuing on this narrative that we've been studying the last several weeks And King Hezekiah, who is the king of Judah, finds himself in a very intimidating situation. And the reason that he is so overwhelmed and intimidated is not because he's surrounded by the enemy. We saw that last week. He knew that he was surrounded, and last week he was confident. Uh, The reason that he was intimidated was not because the Assyrian army was so much bigger than uh, the army of Judah. Uh, They knew that last week, and he was confident. The reason that Hezekiah and the people of Judah are so intimidated is because of the exchange of words that takes place in 2 Kings chapter 18. A spear was not thrown. A sword was not extended. The only thing that we see in this passage is the power of words. Can I remind you this morning as we are beginning this, uh, this message today that words are very powerful. Yeah. That the words that we speak are very powerful. Uh, the words that we listen to are very powerful. Jesus knew this, and Jesus thought that this was important enough to talk about often. Jesus would talk about our words. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, it says this in Matthew uh, chapter number 12 and verse number 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, uh, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Uh, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And so Jesus says, be very careful about the words that you are speaking. You will give an account for every word that you speak. Uh, be very careful about the words uh, that you subscribe to and the words that you listen to. Uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, he was quoting a journalist, and he famously was making a comment about Winston Churchill. And, uh, you know, uh, if you know history, Winston Churchill had a way with words. And uh, uh, he said this about Winston Churchill in the second, during the Second World War. He said that he, Winston Churchill mobilized the English language and he sent it into battle. That that Winston Churchill, with his words, he mobilized the English language and he sent it into battle. That he had such a way with words that he sent his words uh, to war to help secure the victory. I don't know if you've noticed today, uh, but our culture has a way of redefining and uh, uh, mobilizing words to advance certain agendas. Have you noticed this today? Uh, That our culture is redefining and manipulating words. There's this constant vocabulary manipulation that is taking place. Uh, Recently in California, there was a congresswoman that wanted to pass legislation into law that would completely remove the words husband and wife from law because those words are deemed to be now offensive terms. And so she said, let's remove these words. Uh, why? Uh, words uh, carry weight. Uh, words are powerful. And, and our culture today is trying to redefine and manipulate our vocabulary. And we have to recognize uh, that words have constructive power, uh, creative power. God said, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke in the universes where the universe was formed. And, and so uh, there is constructive and creative power. But how do you also know? that words have great destructive power. That Proverbs says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so words have creative power. Words have destructive power. How many of you have ever uh, heard the mantra or said the mantra of the childhood uh, saying when you were younger, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. How many of you know that one, right? How many of you have ever said that one before? Okay. Uh, now we know the sentiment of that and uh, the sentiment is needed today. I think a lot of times we have very thin skin and we're easily offended in our, in our culture today. We understand the sentiment. But we also recognize that phrase is just absolutely not true, <laughs> right? Uh, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Words can be hurtful. How many of you would agree with that today? Uh, words can definitely hurt us. A few years ago, I was talking to my children. And I was trying to convince my kids that I was the strongest man in the world. And, uh, and I'm not sure why you're laughing at that, but that's what, that's what I was trying to convince them. Okay, And I was trying to tell them I'm the strongest man in the world. And they were asking me questions. They were like, Dad, can you lift that car? And I said, if I needed to. <laughs> and they said, Dad, can you lift our whole house? Probably. You know, I was trying to convince them. And uh, my other sister, Blakely, she wasn't having it. She was kind of thinking about it. And uh, as I was saying that, Blakely looked at me and she said, Dad, you're just an old man. And that was kind of her thought process. Like, I don't think you can lift this. You're just an old man. Can I tell you that was hurtful to me to hear that? I said, Blakely, you hurt my feelings when you said that. And uh, words words carry weight. Words have constructive power, creative power. Words have destructive power. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so we have to be very careful about the words that we listen to. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 18, what we find is this psychological warfare. What we find in 2 Kings chapter 18, the rest of the chapter, uh, there is no war that takes place. There's no battle that takes place. The only thing that takes place is a conversation. And what we find is there is this person called Rabshakeh, which I think is a very fun thing to say. Everybody say Rabshakeh. Rabshakeh was the spokesman for the Assyrian army. Sennacherib the king sent Rabshakeh to talk to Hezekiah. Now, Rabshakeh was more of a title than it was a name. It was something like a governor, the Rabshika, the governor, the chief of staff, a very important official, a spokesperson. And this person, Rabshika, comes. And what you need to know about Rabshika is that he was very smart, Uh, he was very witty, he was even at times funny. But he had such a great way with words. And he was great at convincing and manipulating and making you feel intimidated. Uh, Essentially, Rapshika was a very cruel and wicked man. But here he is coming before Hezekiah and the people of Judah. And he's harnessing words. And he's feeding Judah with these lies in order to intimidate them. And I want you to know the devil does the same thing in our lives today. That he wants to harness words and voices that come into our head uh, to deter us and to distract us from the calling that God has for us. And the question really uh, comes down to who will we believe? Who will we listen to? It's interesting, if you were here last week, you remember Hezekiah, he gave a powerful speech at the end of 2 Chronicles chapter 32. We talked about it last week. Hezekiah delivered the word of the Lord. And the people were encouraged, and they rested upon his... How many of you were here last week when we talked about that? The people rested on his words. And they were like, man, Hezekiah, your words caused us to have comfort, and we rested on your words. And now, because of the words of Rabshakeh, the people are intimidated, and they are overwhelmed. And so the question is, who are they going to listen to? Who are they going to believe? Are they going to believe the words of Hezekiah and the words of the Lord? Or will they believe the words of Rapshika and the enemy? This is what it boils down to in our lives today. It's not, the question is not how will you behave. The question is who will you believe? Will you believe the voices of the culture today, the voices of the world, the voices inside of your head that are constantly distracting and deterring and, and weighing you down? Or will you tune into the words of the Lord and the voice of truth? And this is the battle that we must face on a daily basis. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at this man Rabshakeh's speech. And I want us to examine the words that he spoke to Hezekiah. And as we do, what we're going to find are four of the greatest lies that the enemy will ever tell us. And so today, if you're taking notes, I want to give us four of the greatest lies that the enemy will ever tell us. Are you ready this morning? Number one is this. Your past defines you. Lie number one. Your past defines you. Notice verse number 19. And Rabshakeh said unto them, speaking out of Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria. He says, you want to know who's the greatest king? It's not you, Hezekiah. It's Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Then he says, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Uh, Right at the bat, Rabshakeh is like, this is this is entertaining how confident you are, little nation of Judah. Uh, you are surrounded. We've already conquered the fenced cities, the surrounding cities, and here you are wanting to put up a fight. Where's this confidence coming from? Isn't this cute that you're wanting to stand up for yourselves? Uh, where is this coming from? What what confidence do you have? Verse 19. Now, verse 20. Thou sayest, thou sayest. Now he's gonna he's gonna say, This is what you are saying. In other words, he was saying, I already know what you're gonna say. I already know what your response is. By the way, uh, this is what a great communicator does. Uh, the rule of debate is to understand the other side. If you're going to effectively shape an argument, you have to know what the counter argument is going to be. And Rabbishka knew what the counter was going to be. He says, Thou sayest, this is what you're going to say, verse number uh, 20. Thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now, on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? He, he says, I already know what you're going to say. You're going to say that you've received counsel and strength uh, from the Lord. And uh, he says, but where is this coming from? Where is this confidence coming from? Now, notice verse number 21. Now, behold, thou trustest upon a staff of this bruised reed. He says, you're trusting, essentially, on this broken stick. Okay? You're trusting on a broken stick, even upon Egypt. Now, I would encourage you to highlight the word Egypt or mark it or star it or circle it or take note of it in your mind. Uh, even upon Egypt, on which if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, unto all that trust on him. He, he says, who are you going to trust, Hezekiah? Where, where's this confidence coming from? Is it coming from Egypt? Egypt? Because if you're trusting in Egypt, it's like leaning on a weak stick that's going to break when you lean on it. It's going to pierce your hand and end up causing more damage than good. Now, the question that I have for us today as students of the word is why did Rapshika bring up Egypt? Why did he say, are you trusting in Egypt? Well, what happened was uh, previously Hezekiah made an alliance with Egypt. This is something that he should never have done. Uh, He was warned not to do this. God told him not to do this. Furthermore, at this time in world history, Egypt was not a superpower. Egypt was not a strong nation. They were a weak nation, like a weak stick. And and Hezekiah knew that he should not have done this. In fact, one of the contemporaries of Hezekiah, one of his friends, was a prophet uh, that you may have heard of. uh, One of the more familiar prophets of the Old Testament. His name was Isaiah. And Isaiah and Hezekiah were friends. They were buddies. In Isaiah, the prophet, he said this in regards to Egypt. In Isaiah 31, number one, woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. He says, be very careful if you are tempted to get help from Egypt, this wicked, ungodly nation. And so here's what I want you to see. Hezekiah knew that he shouldn't make an alliance with Egypt. He knew that this was a mistake, and yet he did it out of fear anyways. And now here is the enemy, Rapshika, reminding him of that past mistake. Why? The devil wants you to believe that your past defines you. The devil wants you to believe that your mistakes are going to cripple you and that you cannot overcome those mistakes. Here, Rapshika says, "Uh, who are you going to trust in? Egypt? Now, that would have penetrated Hezekiah's heart. That would have been embarrassing. He he knew that was a mistake. That would have been shameful. When he heard that, you're going to trust in Egypt, Hezekiah would have put his head down low. He knew that he made a mistake. And so often in our lives, there are voices that remind us of our past mistakes The enemy wants you to be characterized by your shame and your condemnation. You call yourself a Christian after you did that? You think you can be a husband after you did that? You think you can be a good mother after you yell at your kids and you did this? Uh, you, you think that you can do something for the Lord? Uh, remember when you did that? Uh, see, the enemy wants us to be filled with thoughts of insecurity and insufficiency and inadequacy. Uh, but can I tell you some good news this morning? Is anybody interested in some good news today? Uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm thankful that in Jesus Christ, there is grace for every feeling of guilt. There is forgiveness for every failure. I'm thankful that the Bible says that the just man, he will fall seven times. You will make mistakes. You will make failures. The just man will fall seven times. But aren't you thankful today uh, that by the grace of God, he rises up again. There is a new beginning available. God's mercy is available. And so the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Because there is mercy that is... Available, and we are not characterized by our shame. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Not because we are so great, but because he is so great. Charles Spurgeon said, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water, or deprive the sun of its light, or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. And so Rabshakeh wants to remind Hezekiah, you made an alliance with Egypt, reminding him of his past. But let's keep reading verse number 22. You still with me today? Yep, sure. Verse 22. But if you say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God, it's not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now, you got to bear with me today. We're going to study this passage, and we've got to remember uh, what has happened and what Rapshika is referencing. Do you remember that when Hezekiah first became king, the first thing that he did was usher in a spirit of revival, and he removed the high places. You remember that? He removed the high places. He removed the idols from his land. Now, here, Rapshika says, you're going to trust in the Lord, but didn't you offend the Lord and make him angry when Hezekiah removed all the high places and all the altars? What Rapshika is revealing to us is that he doesn't really know what he's talking about. By the way, can I tell you that the enemy doesn't really know what he's talking about? He's going to feed you lies, and he's going to feed you things that are not true, that go contrary to the word of God. But here Rapshika is saying, "Uh, uh, the Lord is angry at you because you removed all these altars. Well, God wasn't angry at Hezekiah for that. Uh, The Lord was pleased with that. Uh, God was honored in that. But for Rapshika, really all gods were essentially the same. Uh, he had this mindset, which many have in our culture today, of a plurality of gods. And whatever god you worship, that's good. And all roads essentially uh, lead to the same place. There was kind of this uh, pluralistic thinking in Rabshakeh's thinking that, uh, that uh, all gods are essentially the same. Oprah Winfrey said several years ago uh, when it comes to kind of this uh, plurality of, of ways to heaven, she said, uh, I'm a free-thinking Christian who believes in my way, but I don't believe it's the only way with 6 billion people on the planet. Now, I want you to catch what she just said. Because if we're not careful, we'll hear something like that and just move right off it. She said, I'm a free-thinking Christian that believes in my way, but it's not the only way. Can I tell you the problem with that statement? Is what Jesus said. The problem with that statement is Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Life, and no man comes to the... There is only one name uh, given among men. There is only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. It is an exclusive claim. He's the only way. And so Rabshika here is just saying, hey, you, you made God mad. And, and uh, he was just putting God on the shelf with all the other gods when we know that our God is not like other gods. And so this lie that he feeds Hezekiah is your past is going to define you. He brings up Egypt. That would have been hurtful for Hezekiah to hear. But here's the second uh, lie that Rapshika communicates that we are told as well. Number two, you aren't good enough or you aren't enough. What the enemy wants you to believe is that you are not enough, that you don't have what it takes, that you don't have the strength, that you can't do it. Now, I want you to see how this unfolds in verse number 23. It says, Now therefore, again, Rabshakeh just continues on with his speech. Now therefore, I pray thee, give pledges to my lord, the king of Assyria, and I will deliver thee 2,000 horses, if thou be able on thy part to set riders upon them. Now, what Rabshakeh here is doing is he is, poking fun at Hezekiah. He, he's telling a joke. He's making fun of them. He's, he is being condescending. He says, if you pay us tribute, we'll give you 2,000 horses if you can find enough riders to ride them. Uh, we'll give you 2,000 horses, but psh, uh, your army is not even big enough. What would you even do with 2,000 horses? What Rabshakeh is doing is he's talking trash, okay? Uh, I remember when I was in college, I played basketball with my brother-in-law my brother-in-law, John, he grew up in the Philippines. And in the Philippines, they love playing basketball. And uh, they're very fast. They'll play basketball in their flip-flops. And and John grew up in the Philippines playing basketball, and he's very fast. And he's one of the best basketball players I've ever played with. And uh, uh, the problem is, John is not very tall, and uh, he's shorter. And so we would go into an opposing gymnasium, and we would start playing. And the whole uh, crowd would start chanting. Anytime John touched the ball, uh, they would just start chanting, junior higher, junior higher. And uh, they were saying, you look like a junior hire. You don't belong on a college basketball court. And uh, they would just constantly say that. And then it was kind of fun because sometimes John would score 40 points and they would get quiet real quick, right? Uh, but uh, they, were, they were excellent at talking trash and belittling and, and making fun. And this is exactly what Rapshika here is doing in this passage. He's belittling. He's mocking. He's saying, you don't even have enough uh, soldiers to fill 2,000 horses. What was he essentially saying? You aren't enough. You aren't skilled enough. You're not strong enough. Uh, Even if we gave you an advantage, even if we gave you horses, uh, you are not going to be successful. And so often there are voices in our head that tell us and remind us, I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm not trained like that person. I don't have that person's education. I don't have their skill set. I can't talk like that person. I can't move like that person. I can't do this. I can't do that. And we are constantly reminded of what we can't do. We are constantly reminded of our weaknesses. But here's something that the enemy doesn't know that we are well aware of our weaknesses. <laughs> and our weaknesses are actually the gateway that leads to God's strength. I'm so thankful for the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9, that says this, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, uh, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so maybe I'm not strong enough, but my God is strong enough and his power lives within me. Uh, And he will never leave me nor forsake me. And so the enemy wants you to believe that you're not enough, but we have to recognize Christ is enough and the power of Christ can dwell within us. And so the enemy wants you to believe that your past defines you. The enemy wants you to believe that you're not enough. Here's the third lie. Number three is this, God's not on your side. The enemy wants you to believe that God's not actually on your side. Notice verse number 25. We're just going to continue working through Rabshakeh's speech. He says in verse 25, Am I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Do you see what he's doing here? It's a very interesting tactic. He says, You think that uh, the Lord's not with me when I come up against you, Hezekiah? In fact, the Lord, your God, told me to attack you. You know what he's saying? God's not really on your side, Hezekiah. God's on my side. The, the Lord's on my He's the one that told me to come and attack you. Now, this might have been a lie that Hezekiah, for, for us, we can, it's easy for us to read this in 2023 and say, well, that's easy to recognize that's not true. But for Hezekiah, this would have after all, didn't the Assyrian army have a lot of success? They had already captured Israel, taken over Israel. They had already captured all the fenced cities. Uh, they already had given them wealth. Uh, uh, the Assyrian army was extremely powerful. Maybe God is on their side. Maybe I did mess up. Maybe I shouldn't have removed all those high places. Maybe I am uh, not on the right track. And here, uh, the lie was God's not actually on your side. And sometimes if we're not careful, we will start to listen to voices that say, does God really care about me? Because if God really cared about me, then why am I struggling so much financially? Why am I struggling so much relationally? Uh, Why am I going through this difficulty? Is God really on my side? But the Bible says in Psalm 56, verse number 9, When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, I love this phrase, for God is for me. Can I just encourage you today that God is not against you, that he is for you, and that he loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine, and that the Bible says in Psalms that he is, in fact, indeed, on your side. And one plus God is always the majority. Now, notice verse number 26. Something interesting happens. Everybody still with me today? Yes, Notice verse number 26. Then said Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah and Shebna and Joah, unto Rabshakeh. So here's the first time that the representatives of Judah respond. Okay, So far, Rabshakeh has been doing all the talking. And now the people of Judah, they have something to say. They're, they're, they're going to interrupt them, and they want to interject into this speech. And so they say, uh, verse number 26, I pr- speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language. For we understand it. And talk not with us in the Jews' language, in the ears of the people that are on the wall. And so the representatives say, Can you please speak in the Syrian language? Because we, as the leaders, we understand that. The Syrian language would have been the common diplomatic language for political leaders to speak in. They said, Don't speak in the Jews' language because we're in a common place and all the people are listening to what you have to say. Will you please be respectful and at least? Uh, talk to us uh, in the Syrian language so our people don't understand. That was the request, okay? Now, notice how he responds, verse number 27. And by the way, what he responds is a little bit shocking. And so buckle up your seatbelt. It's gonna be a little uncomfortable for a second, okay, what he says, all right? It says this. But Rabshakeh, verse 27, said unto him, hath my master sent me to thy master and to thee to speak these words? Hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall, watch this, that they may eat their own dung? and drink their own piss with you? All right? So it gets a little R-rated in the, in the speech, okay? <laughs> now, Rabshakeh was not holding back when he talks back to them. He says, oh, you want me to be quiet? Oh, you want me to kind of calm my language down? You want me to speak more peaceably? Let me get a little bit more vulgar. Let me get a little bit more direct. Let me tell you that if you don't surrender, you're going to end up eating your own waste. Let me tell you how bad it's actually going to get. And furthermore, look at what he says in verse 27. And Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language. What did the people request? him? Will you please speak in the Syrian language? Rapshika says, you want me to speak in the Syrian language? Guess what? I'm going to speak in the Jews' language so everybody can hear my threats, so everyone can hear my intimidation, so everyone can know how powerful the Assyrian army is. You want me to be quiet? I'm going to get louder. Have you ever tried to silence the voice of the enemy and it seemed like it just got louder? Have you ever tried to get victory over sin and subdue the enemy that was attacking you and it seemed like it only got worse? Here is, Here are these leaders and they're saying, would you please quiet down a little bit? Would you please not say these offensive things for everybody to hear? And now the enemy just gets louder and it just gets worse. Let's keep reading. Thus saith the king, verse number 29, let not Hezekiah deceive you. By the way, this is something that the enemy will do. The enemy wants to constantly plant uh, thoughts of doubt in your life to not trust leadership. Don't don't let Hezekiah, your king, to see. You can't trust your king. You can't trust uh, Hezekiah, verse number uh, 29, to deliver you out of his hand, verse 30. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to see. Rapshika is communicating one powerful thing to Hezekiah and to the people. You cannot trust the Lord. Did you see that in that verse? You cannot trust Hezekiah. Don't allow Hezekiah to make you trust. Uh, Don't trust the word of the Lord. You can't trust it. It's not, uh, you can't trust it. It's not reliable. It's not trustworthy. And this is the same lie that the enemy is telling us today, that you cannot trust the words of the Lord, that that you cannot trust the validity of scripture, that this, so many people think this is just an outdated book of antiquity and uh, we can't really trust it. By the way, This was the attack all the way back in the garden. Yea, hath God said. Can you really trust the words of the Lord? Is this really reliable? How can we trust it? Several years ago, we went to visit the British Museum. And in the British Museum, there is something called the Taylor Prism that I thought was very fascinating. And the Taylor Prism, I think we have a picture this morning. It's a six-sided cylinder, uh, this clay uh, prism that has cuneiform script. And this is dated back to the 7th century BC. And so uh, all the way back in the 7th century BC, this was was made. And there was an explorer in the 1800s. His name was Robert Taylor. And Robert Taylor discovered this prism, and that's why it's called the the Taylor Prism. But it has another name uh, other than the Taylor Prism that people will call this. It's called the Sennacherib Prism. And the reason it's called the Sennacherib Prism is because Sennacherib was the king of Assyria during this uh, time in history. And this prism, this uh, Taylor prism, uh, is dated in the 7th century BC, the exact time of 2 Kings chapter 18, the narrative in which we're studying today. And it's so fascinating because this is the account from Sennacherib's perspective. And it's so fascinating because uh, for years people thought, man, uh, where where can we validate 2 Kings 18 and 2 Chronicles 32, and how do we know these events happen? And then in the 1800s, we make this discovery, and we learn from Sennacherib's own writing, in this in this script writing, uh, so many of the things that align. Uh, both the Taylor Prism and the Bible mention King Hezekiah of Judah. Uh, both the Taylor Prism and the Bible uh, mention uh, King Sennacherib's invasion into Judah. Uh, both that Taylor Prism and the Bible talk about Hezekiah's tribute money that he paid to uh, Sennacherib. Uh, both of the Bible and the Taylor Prism uh, talk extensively about Rabshakeh uh, the man that issued all of these threats, and the spokesman uh, for uh, the nation of Assyria. Now, we don't need to know. Uh, We don't need the Taylor Prism to know that the Bible is true, but this is yet again historical evidence of the reliability of Scripture. I'm thankful today that the Bible has been proven true time and time and time again, and if God said it, you can trust it. The Bible has been proven true scientifically Uh, The Bible has been proven true prophetically. The Bible has been proven true uh, historically. I'm just so thankful today that we have a more sure word of prophecy, that when it comes to the word of the Lord, uh, we can trust it. Uh, Rabshakeh was saying, you can't trust it, but we know today that we can trust in the word of the Lord. And this leads us to our fourth and final lie that we're going to see this morning. Are you ready for number four today? Number four is this. Here's the fourth lie. You're missing out. The devil wants nothing more than you to have FOMO, the fear of missing out. How many of you have ever experienced FOMO, the fear of missing out? And, uh, man, I wish I was there. I remember when my brother Larry was getting engaged to his girlfriend and fiance. They went to dinner in Laguna Beach, and we were kind of waiting in Newport Beach, and we were going to kind of wait till after the surprise and the engagement, and we were going to meet up and have dessert afterwards. But Larry texted me while he was at dinner, and I was thinking, "Why is he texting me the night he's getting engaged?" And he texted me and he said, "Kobe Bryant is sitting at the table across from us." And I thought, "This is amazing. <laughs> this is the best night ever." And I was I was asking him questions, and I said, "Say hi to him. Say hi to him." And. Uh, And uh, he texted me a few minutes later and he was standing uh, in the parking lot and both Kobe Bryant and my brother were waiting for their car uh, to come up. And so he texted me a picture of him and Kobe Bryant waiting in the parking lot. And he said, we're just talking, we're having a conversation. And I'm a few miles away. And here Larry is having like the best night of his life. He's getting engaged. He's talking with Kobe. And I am having the worst night of my life because I am a few miles away. And I am very jealous that my brother is getting uh, to meet Kobe and to have this conversation. And uh, I just had this This FOMO, this fear of missing out. And this is exactly how the enemy wants you to feel when it comes to God's will. That if you surrender to God's will, you're gonna be missing out on something so much greater. There's gonna be something so much more enjoyable. There's gonna be so many more opportunities. Why why would you waste all your time serving the Lord and coming to church and coming to small group and giving? Hey, Hey, you are just wasting good opportunities. You are going to miss out on so much that the world has to offer. This was the lie that Rapshika was now going to communicate to the people of Judah. And I want you to see it as we close. Notice verse number 31. Hearken not to Hezekiah. Again, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Now, he's now talking to the people. He was talking to the representatives of Judah. Now he's talking to the people of Judah. Remember, he got louder, and he's now talking to them. He says, don't listen. For thus saith the king of Assyria, make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me. And then ye, 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 every man of his own vine and every... One of his own fig tree and drink ye every one of the waters of his cistern. Verse 32, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, olive, and honey, that ye may live and not die. Hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. He says, If you stay here, you're gonna die. If you stay here, will end in destruction and misery, but if you come with me, you're going to experience a fruitful land, a land of oil, olive, and honey, and bread, and grain, a, a fruitful land. Come with me. It's going to be so much better if you just surrender and come with me. See, what the enemy knows is that is that if he can't tempt you with pain, he'll tempt you with prosperity. Come over here where things are a little bit easier, and so many people, tragically, they walk away from God's will, because they are distracted by convenience. They are distracted by comfort. They are distracted by the the grass that looks greener on the other side. But can I tell you as followers of Jesus, we should not be focusing on the the greener grass that's on the other side. We should focus on the good shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures, who has the best plans for us. Uh, That following Jesus is not a second tier life. That following Jesus is the best life possible. It's the Zoe life, it's the abundant life. And so we cannot believe the lies from the enemy. You're missing out. This is second best. No, serving the Lord is the greatest privilege and the highest calling that anyone could have in life. And so now the people are listening to these lies. Hey, you're going to miss out if you don't if you don't come. The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse number four, delight thyself also in the Lord. So don't delight in a birthday present. Don't delight in a new car. Don't delight in a bigger house don't delight in the greener pastures, delight thyself also in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. That's why Paul could say, rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what your circumstances might be, you can still have joy, not because of your circumstances, but because of Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. He says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Trust in the Lord. Now, I want you to see, in conclusion, how the people respond. Notice verse number 36. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. And so before they went out to meet him, Hezekiah the king says, don't answer, Uh, don't respond to whatever they have to say. And the people responded to that, and they submitted to that, and they didn't respond. And they responded wisely. F.B. Meyer said this, silence is our best reply to the allegations and taunts of our foes. Be still, O persecuted soul. Be still. Be still and know that he is God. Rather than arguing and fighting and be still, hand over thy cause to God. It is useless to argue, even in many cases to give an explanation. Be still and commit thy cause to God. Proverbs says this in Proverbs ten nineteen: in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. So when we learn to not respond and to be still. There, there's wisdom there. And so this text boils down to a war of words. There's this war of words that takes place in 2 Kings 18. Who will they believe? Will they believe the words of Hezekiah or will they believe the words of Rabshakeh and the enemy? And this is the question for all of us today that I believe is so relevant and so applicable in 2023 Who will we believe? Will we listen and tune into the voices of the world or will we tune into the voice? Of the Lord and form a biblical worldview based on the Word of God. The Bible says this in John chapter 11. As I read this concluding verse, would you join me in standing this morning? Jesus said this Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. Aren't you thankful that Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life and he went to the cross and died on the cross in your place and in my place, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he resurrected from the grave and he is alive and well today. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, if you believe, though he were dead, yet shall he live And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, everlasting life, eternal life. Then he says this, believest thou this? Do you believe this? This is the question that all of us must answer in life. Do you believe